Exodus chapter 7. Sorry about the technical difficulty for tonight. Let's jump into it. Beginning with Exodus chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. It says, So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. Now, in this sense, God is going to use Moses as an instrument to get his message to Pharaoh. And this is God's method of reaching the world. God prepares his instruments, us. And God chose in the beginning of Genesis, as we remember, Abraham to be the first Jew, the first Israelite, to be an example of who God is to the world. Now, Abraham and the Israelites after him, they're going to represent God's power, God's sovereignty to the Gentiles. A Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. And in that same like manner, Moses would be representative of God to Pharaoh. And in like manner, God has called you to be a messenger to the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 23, Paul writes, You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is of the heart. You see, we are God's living gospel in the flesh. Written epistles, letters to the world about the love story of God and his people. You've probably heard it said that our lives may be the closest that a person gets to reading a Bible. You see, are we being that instrument of God to get his message across to the lost world? This is what Moses is now to Pharaoh in verse 3. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Now, there might be some doubt as to the fairness of God hardening Pharaoh's heart here. Now, first, we need to note this, that as you read this account, continue on, Pharaoh first hardens his heart and then afterward, God hardens the heart of Pharaoh. But there's something even more interesting about the reading of the words that are used for the word harden. You see, remember, this is written in Hebrew. And the words harden, when spoken of Pharaoh, is a different word than when God hardens Pharaoh's heart. When Pharaoh hardens his heart, the word is kavad, which means 
to make grievous hard. It's like a stubborn type of hardness, rebellion towards the Lord. But then when you look at the word of when God hardens Pharaoh's heart, the word is kazak, meaning to make strong or firm, to confirm Pharaoh's position, literally. And that's what God will do in our lives. God will confirm our hearts, make stronger. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, The Spirit clearly says, that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now that searing with a hot iron it causes that, that burn, that dryness. It's no longer soft anymore. It's unable to, to penetrate except it, it just breaks. That's what the Spirit is saying has happened to the hearts of the people. They become hard, like burned with an iron. And then again in Romans 1, 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. See, the Bible clearly teaches that we are responsible for our sin and that God at times will confirm us in our position. He gave them over to a debased mind. That should cause caution in our heart when we allow compromise in our life. Perhaps we think, oh, it's just this one time. I'm only going to do it this one time. Yet our flesh takes over. And then when we step into that place and we're not asking God to convict us of sin, we're not asking God to change us, we become solidified in that state. God will confirm it. But we are responsible for our actions. Let's continue reading in, in verse 4. It says, But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them now when you look at what God is about to do to Pharaoh and the Egyptians you might think that God is so harsh to do all this to the Egyptians but when I see the 10 plagues that we're about to look at, I see God's mercy. See, if God wanted to, he could have just wiped them out in one fell swoop, in one plague. But God gave them 10. The reason being is every time he wanted Pharaoh to let his people go, 
And he gave them time after time of a chastisement after chastisement. But knowing that Pharaoh's heart would just become more and more hard, that Pharaoh himself would choose to rebel against the Lord. Now, if you do doubt the love of God, know this, that God is just. And whatever God is, he is 100% of it. God is always all just. There is no evil in him. When we come to those places where we're kind of uncertain or confused about the methods of, of God, we fall back on what we do know, what the Bible teaches about God, his attributes. We know that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, God doesn't desire for us to turn against him. We make that decision. The Lord wants to pour his love out on us. And sometimes people turn away. Sometimes we turn away from the Lord, of the love of the Lord. You see, that's how God's omnibenevolence works, his all-loving attribute. God is all love. Is that God is always pouring out that love. But it's us who turns away to not receive the love of God. May we open ourselves to the love of God tonight. May we open ourselves to his grace and to his mercy tonight. God isn't condemning us. He wants and desires that we come to him as children, repentant, in that loving relationship with him. God desires to protect you. God doesn't have the laws of morality to keep us from having fun. He has these laws to keep us in our best condition as we possibly can be so that we can be in that loving relationship with him, unhindered by sin. Let's read on in verse six. Uh, perhaps there's an argument here for man's free will versus predestination. I'm not going to go too deep into that. Pharaoh hardening his heart and God hardening Pharaoh's heart. I think you'll find that the Bible teaches both principles very clearly. That predestination does exist. And also that man has free will. And you think, how can the two exist at the same time? I don't know. It's the miracle of God. I'll ask God when I'm in heaven. But the Bible does clearly teach both as the reality. I think when you get to heaven, perhaps there'll be a sign that said, welcome, chosen of the Lord. And as you walk past that sign, you walk past it, you look on the backside of it and says, welcome you who chose God. See, it's both. God has chosen us but we also choose him. Now God, knowing all things because he lives outside of time, why would God want to choose somebody who's not going to choose him? 
So if you doubt that God has chosen you today, choose him, and I guarantee you that he's chosen you as well. Look at verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now, who says you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? You have these old guys, and I'm sure Moses was including Aaron's age just to show how young he was compared to Aaron. But Moses and Aaron now in their old age, sometimes we think, man, how, how can God use me at a young age? How can God use me now as an old age? And you know what? God doesn't look at age. God can do whatever he wants with whomever he wants by the power of God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God can use us. I'm encouraged that even as a young man, like Timothy was encouraged, to not allow my youthfulness to become a, a stumbling block as I try to minister to people. You see, people might be able to question your experience if you're young. But when you walk in integrity, they can't question your walk. Don't let them. And don't give them room to question your walk, but leave appearances of evil. So now old Moses and Aaron are there before Pharaoh. Verse 8, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves. Then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. Now here's something as a a step of faith now for Moses and Aaron. You see, he's asking them to go to Pharaoh again. If you remember last week, God told Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. They did it. And Pharaoh was like, what do you mean? I'm going to make it now harder for them. You guys are idle. And because you, you guys are lazy, now you're making complaints. So because of this, I'm going to make your work harder. I'm going to take away your, the straw that we make for you, and you guys are going to have to make it on your own and make bricks. And then the Israelites who suffered from this labor then went to Moses and Aaron and said, hey, man, like Pharaoh is now twice as hard as he was on us. And they were mad at Moses and Aaron. And after all of that, Moses is saying, go back to Pharaoh. Perhaps Aaron and Moses could have been like, you know what? Didn't go so well last time, God. Are you sure sure about this one? You sure you want me to go back again? And God is even telling them to go a step further. He's saying, this time when you go, I want you to take the rod in your hand, Aaron, throw it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. Now that's a step of faith. Sometimes God is going to ask you to take a step of faith. Sometimes you're not sure what the outcome is going to be. But when God calls you, When you make that step of faith for the Lord, he's not going to let you down. Whatever that outcome is, 
has a reason for it. When you're truly abiding and hearing the Lord, I'm reminded of when I was going to leave my HVAC job to go work at a church full-time staff for the first time and just being fearful. Being, are you sure, God? Are you sure this is for me? And taking some time and praying and fasting and even asking some of my Christian brothers, hey, what was it like for you? Did, were you scared? And I was encouraged in the Lord and I was reading and the Lord told me not to trust in the world. Actually, now that I remember the, the text, he said, don't trust in Egypt, which as I was reading that text, let me know that I can't trust the world, but I needed to trust God. And I took that step of faith. I, I was scared, but I left and I, I never regretted it. Now the crazy part was then after working at a church full-time staff, for some time, and when the Lord told me then to take a step back into my air conditioning trade so that I can start another ministry, that was, for me, another, are you sure, God? Are you sure this is what you want me to do? I just left HVAC. You want me to go back to it? It had been uh, about two years. And it, it was definitely another step of faith. And I see that when you honor God with your decisions, that God takes care of it, that you will see fruit. And not to become weary while doing good, for in due time you will reap a harvest. And I love it. It's so awesome to be joyful. And I, I share these things with you just so you know that God can do awesome things through a nobody like me. Enough of that. Verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. So imagine this scene now. They go before Pharaoh, just as God told them. They said, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no way, Jose. And Moses and Aaron said, all right, let's do what God said. And he said, what do God said, take the rod, throw it. Whatever you have in your hand. Remember God said, take what you have in your hand. And for me, that's that message of God telling us, what have I given you today? Use it. Allow God to do the work. And Moses and Aaron, they throw the rod. And suddenly those serpents, they, they're formed from the rod. Now, here's something kind of interesting. The word here for serpent is the word tannin. When they cast down the tannin, this became, it's, the word is literally a great serpent, a dragon, or even a crocodile. 
And there's a connection from this word tannin as a symbol of Egypt. And we could see that symbol from Ezekiel chapter 29, verse 3. You don't need to turn there, but the serpent is a symbol of Egypt. And as Moses and Aaron threw their rod down, suddenly the magicians and the sorcerers, they pull up their rods and throw their counterfeits down. Now, what's interesting is that some might believe that there are no miracles today. And they see counterfeit miracles as a proof that miracles don't exist. When in fact, the counterfeit proves that there is a genuine. You see, there's even the possibility that these Egyptians could have used sleight of hand like magicians and perhaps made a a quick switcheroo and then suddenly they threw the snake out on the floor rather than the rod that was once in their hand. That's probable. However, I find it even more probable that the sorcerers here with Moses that we're dealing with, we're dealing with the occult, that they're dealing with magic and darkness. There is a power of darkness. And we see when you study magic, which, by the way, I want to preface this by saying, be careful. Don't go online tonight and start looking up magic and the occult, suddenly becoming very interested in it because there is power of darkness. But when you look at where magic came from, a lot of it came from Egypt and Babylon. And there is a real power of darkness in the world that we live in. Demons, the power of Satan. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. If you have your Bibles tonight, why don't you even turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We can look at this together because as we look at demonology, as we look at the powers of darkness that do exist, we say perhaps, man, what are we human beings? How are we going to fight against this? What do we do? Should we be scared? Should we be worried? My answer is no. My answer is, should we be understanding of it? Yes. In Ephesians chapter 6, after stating that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, look at verse 13. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand... Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, 
which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You see, We need to be prepared. A little kid at night is sound asleep and all of a sudden a loud explosion goes off outside of his, his window. And that kid is scared. He wakes up frantic, fearful, runs to his parents. Now, let's say a soldier in battle, same situation is resting. Right outside of his his facility, a, a grenade goes off, an explosion. That soldier responds quite differently. Wakes up, grabs his rifle, puts on his suit, his vest, his helmet. Lets his brothers know they're attacking. The enemy is attacking. And they respond with offense. Defense and offense. You see... We are in spiritual warfare and the attacks are going to come. So are we going to be that kid who runs and hides in fear? Are you going to tell your brother and sister in the Lord, grab your rifle, grab your sword. It's time to go at it. This is the truth that we live in today. All the the craziness that we see in this world We could pray on the armor of God in our life. There's symbolisms of prayers we can actually pray. God, thank you for salvation in my life. The the feet, the the gospel of peace. God, may I be an evangelist. Help me to share that, that gospel of peace with my friends, my family members. The bout of truth. Lord, help me to be honest in my life. Help me to walk in truth, not in lies of the enemy, not so deep in conspiracies. May I say the truth to people with love. The breastplate of righteousness, we ask God, remove my sin. And may it not be my self-righteousness, but may it be your son, Jesus, may it be his righteousness in my life. The shield of faith, God, I pray that you would increase my faith. Help me as I'm going through these trials, as the enemy is shooting his arrows at me to attack, may I have faith that you are all powerful and able to stop this, able to to make a way. The sword of the spirit, that's our Bible. That's what we have here tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, this is gonna get you through life. This book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from this book. We need to be prepared for the attacks of the enemy, even from within ourselves, the flesh. You see, we pray on the armor of God and you're then suited up and prepared for a battle, prepared to be in the Lord's army so that he can use you to live out that purpose-filled life. Now, with all of this, 
looking back at Moses and Aaron, and they're throwing their rods before Pharaoh, and it's turning into the serpents, and the serpents now, Moses and Aaron's serpent is eating all of the magician's serpents. We recognize that Aaron's rod and Moses' rod, they prevailed over the, just Aaron's rod, prevailed over the enemies. I recognize that God's power is always greater, always greater than whatever. God's power is always greater. There's nothing greater than God. There's nothing that can match him. That word, it's, it's swallowing up. You see, in our life, we're going to have those attacks. But know that God's power is greater. And the same way that Aaron and Aaron's rod swallowed up the other serpents, God and his power can swallow up our idols, our sins, our temptations, our trials. God has the power to do so. In verse 13, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Remember Pharaoh, he used to continue to say to, I don't know your God, Moses. I don't know this Lord you speak of. But he's now beginning to become acquainted with God's power and his heart is growing hard against the Lord. Verse 14 So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, and when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him, and the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand, and you shall say to him, The Lord of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. I do see the continual attack against the children of Israel. I'm reminded that this Attack against them would continue throughout history. We read about the Holocaust, about how Hitler killed over six million Jews. What's interesting is that that number of Jews that Hitler slaughtered, God has increased them now in the day and age that we live in. But the enemy has always tried to attack God's chosen people. And the enemy will try to attack you when you are witness of God. Look at verse 17. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river and with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink. And the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. So now we look at the first of ten plagues which God is going to bring against the Egyptians. 
It's interesting. They come in sets of three. The first two plagues will then are, are with a warning given by Moses and Aaron. And then the third plague comes without a warning. And that cycle repeats. And then the tenth plague is basically in a league of, league of its own. It's on its own level. When you study the Egyptians, you will find that they worshipped the Nile, the river in Egypt. You will find that they even had other gods and deities who were related to the Nile. They have a god named Kanum, who was said to be the guardian of the Nile. They even had a god named Happy, who was said to be the spirit of the Nile. And as these Egyptians had these gods whom they worshipped, these idols, the Lord now is knocking them down. The, the Nile River in Egypt is being turned into blood. And where are these gods to protect the Nile River? They're not even there. They have no power against God. When you study even more so the, the plagues that God used against Egypt, you will see that all of these plagues are specifically attacking the Egyptian gods and goddesses, tearing down. Pharaoh kept saying, I don't know the Lord, this Lord you speak of, Jehovah. And God is saying, look at all your other gods. Look at what I'm doing to them. You see, the Lord is a jealous God. Not like human jealousy but a righteousness. The Lord doesn't want any other gods before him. When you study the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, it says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. See, we cannot be idolaters. We can have no other gods before him. What is an idol? An idol is anything in your life that separates you from God. Anything that you put equal to God, anything that you put above God or before him, that's an idol. It doesn't have to be a little statue that you keep in your closet that you pray to. It could be your career. It could be your relationship. It could be success, money. It could be fame. It could be glamour. That's what an idol is in our life. The prophet Isaiah had some wise words about people who allow idols in their life. In Isaiah chapter 44, 
if you'd like to turn your Bible there. I'm going to read a few verses out of the New Living Translation. So if you have the New King James versions, bear with us. But in Isaiah chapter 44, beginning with verse 14, he cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. This is referring to a man who's somewhat of a, of a carpenter, a laborer. Verse 15, then he uses part of the wood to make fire. And with it, he warms himself and makes his bread. Then, yes, it's true. He takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. He says, ah, the fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes his God a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my God. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. Paul even would quote on Isaiah's portion of scripture here. He would see this as so foolish for people to to say, look it, you've taken the creation, what God has made, and you've made it to be equal with the creator. When in fact, that's nowhere near the case. With one part of the tree, you let it burn and it warms you. And then with the other part of the tree, you make an idol and begin to worship it but it's made out of the same material that burns and it passes away into nothing. Worthlessness, vanity. And this is what we do with idols in our life. We allow them to take God's place. And when we bow down to these idols in our life, when we put them first, we actually worship those things. We become less than items that are going to fade away. We make ourselves lesser than that idol in our life. Christian tonight listening, do you have idols in your life? Are there things right now that are popping up in your head? Social media, lust, anger, pride, fame success all these things may God remove them and be not afraid of what the Lord is going to take away because when it's his way it's so much better you're free you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore but you can be a slave to the God who loves you in heaven Back in Exodus, it says in verse 19, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod, 
and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so. Just as the Lord commanded, so he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank. And the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. The Lord is now attacking all their places of worship, all their idols, everything that they saw as their livelihood, the water that they used to bathe in, the water that they used to give their family drink, to feed themselves, to make their crops grow, their cattle's fed. God is attacking it, their very livelihood. And they would pray to these other gods to help them to be successful with the water, and now it's all coming to an end. As I look at this, and as you look at the plagues, you're going to find a mirror image in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, John prophesies of the waters on earth turning to blood. This is something that has not yet happened yet. This is something that is going to happen in the great tribulation, which is going to rock the entire world. We find this in Revelation chapter 16. I'm going to read these verses to you. In Revelation 16, verses 3, it says, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. For it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Whoa. Whoa. This is something that the world, as we look at it now, is getting prepared for. The chessboard is set. The pieces are moving. So what do we do? Do we then hide in our homes and start getting prepared? We don't hide. We continue doing what the Lord has called us in. Continue living 
and abiding in Christ so that you can live out your purpose-filled life, to let people know truth with love, to warn them of the fire to come. In verse 22, back in Exodus. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard. And he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. See, this is the miracle of God, that even the, the water that was in their house suddenly turned to blood. It wasn't just the Nile. It was all of their water. The Egyptians were now being plagued by the first plague. See, God is just in all that he does. God will judge. God is a wrathful God. These are his attributes. And the difference between being judged of God and condemned and not is that simple belief and faith on his son, Jesus Christ. People find all sorts of ways to make it difficult and hard to calculate and hard to live up to. But all it is is simple childlike faith. That accepting, that believing that God loves you, that being obedient to him. See again, in the book of Revelation, when God brings the great tribulation upon the world, he could, if he'd wanted to, just say, poof, everyone who is an enemy of God is dead. But no, God uses trials, tribulations, judgments, plagues on the earth. Why? Because there's going to be people who repent during that time and turn back to him. And the only way they would have ever come to that moment of repentance is if the Lord was to bring his judgment. And with this, recognize this. In the same way that in the book of Exodus, this account of redemption of the Israelites, God redeeming his people Israel, in that same way, God is going to redeem his people Israel in the great tribulation. God is not done with them. God loves them and has a plan for his chosen people. And their eyes will be open to who Jesus is, their Messiah. I'll leave with this verse. In Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, Paul writes, I'm sorry, Luke writes, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come, from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times 
of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. If that's you tonight, if you desire repentance in your heart, in your mind, you want to make it right with the Lord, you need to get idols out of your life. There are things that are holding you from having that awesome abiding relationship with Christ? Why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to come into your heart tonight? Why don't you ask Jesus to come into your heart tonight to free you from that sin, from that bondage? If you'd like to do so, I want to invite you tonight, right now, to follow me in this simple prayer. I'll start and just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I ask that Jesus would be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I love you. I thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would like to get in touch with us, please do so. Message us. We would love to pray with you. We would love to encourage you. But go forward this week, removing the idols in your life, and just see what amazing things that God can do through a person who is totally submitted to the Lord. Holy fire, burn away my desire for anything that is not of you and is of me I want more of you and less of me